Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane. As always, I have this hunk of a man in front of me, Alex Friedman, badass strength coach from Denver, Colorado. I'm a sports chiropractor, strength coach, and wrestling coach in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, as well as Peoria, Arizona at CGMMA. Today, we're going to be talking about and giving you guys a little bit of a look behind the curtain and how your programs get built. So an intro to periodization, a little bit of a look at the strength and conditioning aspects of everything, um, and really what it, what goes into building a good program for a combat athlete. Yeah, so this... This is kind of my bread and butter, and Austin's gonna let me let me run rampant with this one. Uh, yeah, this this is an episode for Alex. So yeah, definitely. So uh, so yeah, I just get to spout everything that I know, and uh, that's awesome because programming and periodization has kind of been the thing that has intrigued me into strength and conditioning. It's like so- solving a puzzle. Where can we make all the pieces fit? What can we get the best training effects and adaptations from? And um, what does that athlete need is there's a combination of a ton of factors that um, I personally love to piece together and, and see how it turns out um, working with athletes, working with myself. And then of course, over time with experience, you see those effects, you get more proven methods. And then that's where you as a coach get to develop your own type of method and your own principles. And it's just a fun experience for me and also super interesting. So I hope you guys get a little bit, of insight looking behind what goes into building a program and how we can actually flesh out and get training adaptations to make you better at your sport. Because at the end of the day, in the sports science world, we're not just trying to make programs and nerd out over, I combine these two exercises and then it's doing this for your lactic system, blah, blah, blah. We're trying to get an effect that's going to actually help you win in the octagon on the mat, whatever you're doing. So looking at those things and then um, giving you an insight as to why would I even bother with a intricate program or why would I even hire a strength coach? Um, because there is a lot of planning on the backside that goes into. So what, what is your first step? Is it, you got to do the assessment. Is it intake form? A lot of people like me and you, we do this every day, but a lot of people don't know what the first step is. Well, I mean, yeah, the first step is gaining your experience, right? Is figuring out as a strength coach, where you've been exposed, what you know, and and the means that you've been exposed to what you can do to genuinely help somebody. And it's going to change by individual. So when you intake, you assess somebody, you talk to them, not only about their movement abilities, uh, that is a factor, but you talk to them about how they fight, how they perform, uh, what they specifically like to do, how everything works. So that goes all into an intake, but there's always this general plan going on in the background, right? Once you've get doing this enough, and I've been writing programs for four years, five years, and not that that's experienced, but it's uh, it's been really fun for me. And like I said, I think I've had a little success being a director of performance at the gym at 26 years old. So I've had a lot of success doing it with athletes and with myself personally, but from that intake process and from everything you gather about the athlete, about the sport, about what they need, what their needs analysis looks like. That's another key factor as you create the needs analysis. What buckets do I have to fill for this athlete to be successful at this sport? Um, where are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? How should we address those? Um, should we try and bring up the weaknesses, take down or build on the strengths just all depends on the context and the individual that's in front of you. So it's always hugely specific and individualized when you get to this level, when you get to um, program that way, there's also team programming, which is 
different uh, different considerations, more like doing the most good with the the most you can. But uh, that is the first step, just getting to know your individual, getting to uh, start with that general program. And for me, it's all a timeline based thing. You know, if somebody comes to me and they have six months before a fight and we're facing these and that issues, then I create, you know, the plan that leads up to the fight. And I have six months of time. If somebody comes to me and they're, you know, six weeks out, six weeks or four weeks or something, that plan is completely different, right? It's like, what can we do the most good with? So creating that plan based on a timeline, based on the individual is the, um, first step in addressing the strength and conditioning uh, support service that we can offer. So when you're thinking of these different things, is your first, you said a general, that general backbone, if you will, is GPP the first thing in your mind then? Because that's general, right? Yeah, it depends. And I'll kind of talk to general to specific type of programming, but um, you generally start generally, quote unquote, start with a, a periodized plan and Periodization is a big word that gets thrown around a lot in strength and conditioning. Periodization essentially just means having a training plan, having a long-term training plan. Um, you're trying to elicit certain responses at different times throughout the year. And when I t- say long-term, a periodized plan can be a whole year long. For some Olympic athletes, it's a four-year plan, um, depending on where the athlete is and what their training age is. So having that basis of periodization um, and seeing what that process is, studying it from being an undergrad and coming up, you get to know what the traditional periodization looks like and then what we're shifting to now in our high performance model, which is more of a flexible periodization. Because if you set a plan in stone for nine months, something's going to happen in training, something's going to happen in camp that you have to adjust for. So it's a flexible plan, but it has to have a plan in place or else we're just kind of uh, throwing shit at the wall, right? We're not, we're seeing what sticks. So just twirling our thumbs, right? Having that um, plan in the background, that periodization is a um, foundational part of the exercise science and the strength and conditioning paradigm. And then in my experience, again, GPP, is that where you always start? general physical preparation, uh, which is a lot of conditioning, which is a lot of work capacity and our functional capacity type of exercise that we've talked about on this podcast a lot. Um, If that's a huge need for the athlete and it fits in their timeline, then that's a perfect place to start. If the athlete has outstanding work capacity and outstanding, you know, uh, functional capacity, which very few do, but, or if we're four weeks out from a fight, I'm not going to start a GPP phase and uh, tear down some of their power or speed capabilities, which is another consideration to balance when we get into, you know, creating a training plan. What are some like low hanging fruit that you like to hit with a lot of athletes, right? When you're, when you're considering the combat athlete in general, professional or recreational, what are just a few low, like give me like two or three low hanging fruit that you like to throw in for all of them? I think tolerance to load. So working on things like a work capacity as far as are you in shape enough to carry out the program I've written? I think that is a a hugely foundational aspect. Like a lot of athletes, wrestlers, strikers get super accustomed to their sport practices, you know, and you get in a lot in very good wrestling shape or you get in very good uh, MMA shape. But as soon as I put you holding a 50 pound kettlebell or with 125 pounds on your back, you know, 
can you do three sets of six? I don't know. Or is it, are you going to tap out at, you know, the 12th rep? So building that functional capacity to load is a, a low hanging fruit that I think most every athlete should have. And that's on your way to strength, right? Because strength being a maximal effort type of endeavor is, which is something that's always a goal in strength and conditioning is, um, I wouldn't say that's a low hanging fruit, but it's something that needs to be in every program or every athlete needs to create a baseline of strength. Um, There's just too many benefits and we've rattled them off before, but you know, resilience to injury, recovery rates from injury, um, increased performance, increased rate of force development, increased maximal force output period, like strength hits all of those. Right. So, um, we need to build ourselves up to that strength. Other low hanging fruit, would be functional capacity at end ranges of motion. Uh, I think a lot of people don't train to a full range of motion or, or train anatomically to their own body's full range of motion. So making sure that we're strength training through a full range of motion, which is corrective in nature, that uh, is a huge part of it because, you know, uh, how many physical therapists or people that you go to strength coaches sprinkle in and throw a hundred different corrective exercises that you were, we're trying to fix this specific place. Um, if you focus on correct strength training through a full range of motion, a lot of those things are going to get fixed on their own. Yep. So I think those are a few low hanging fruit um, to go into it. What talking about going back to a program, right? Because a lot of people, right. they want to jump in to, Oh man, I want to bust my ass right away. Yeah. <laughs> I run into that all the time working with fighters. They want to jump in. If they are not sweating after a workout, they haven't done anything. No. So why do you need to build up to these certain levels? Like, why do you need to have those building blocks? Is there a reason why? Well, yeah. Um, when I think of sport performance, when you think of stepping into the octagon for a, a three minute or a three round, five minute fight, um, that is at the very tip top of your sports performance pyramid, right? If you think of a, just a general pyramid right at the top of the peak, that octagon performance, that's the very tip top, right? That pyramid is built on your foundational levels of conditioning, foundational levels of tolerance to low, foundational levels of strength, power, speed. All of those qualities factor in and build up in the pyramid. At the bottom of the pyramid is that work capacity, general physical preparation that we kind of alluded to earlier. As we work up the pyramid, it goes, you know, from that GPP to more work capacity to more strength. You have to have a base level of strength to work on your power. So working up the pyramid, a lot of power is useful in the octagon. And then we go to speed, which speed is kind of the ultimate culminating factor when you move your body weight at a very high rate. And then on top of speed, we get into specific sport performance, technique, tactics, um, things like that. And then, like I said, that actual performance is the very tip top of that pyramid. So if we don't have a wide base at the bottom of that pyramid, our capacity to perform is going to be a lo- way lower and we're going to have a smaller pyramid in general. So strength and, and conditioning. When, an inverted pyramid, if you will. Which, uh, which does not balance well and will not be sustainable. So we've built out and widened the base. And then we get a taller pyramid, a.k.a. getting better at your very specific sport technique, a.k.a. winning more, uh, getting to a higher level. So, yeah, dude, I actually today I had I had one of my higher level fighters in um, and we were he's been in the game for a while and we were talking and I was so fucking happy about the cover how that he like sat me down. He's a very stoic guy, sits me down. He's like, hey, Austin, can we have a talk about something? And I'm like, 
yeah, of course, all, always. Um, and he's like, man, I've just been, I've been starting to realize I've never really done strength and conditioning out of fight camp until like within the last year. And the more I do it, but I don't push myself to an eight out of 10, the more I do it at that low level, GPP crazy. Um, the more I do it and just focus on making my body feel better, the better I always end up, the more composed I am in my fights, the more I can see things. He's like, I just am better than other people when I'm training and I'm focusing on making my body as healthy as possible. And I feel like the strength does that. And that was like, that was like a proud, not like a proud father, but that was a proud coach moment. So <laughs> I'm like, Oh, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. I finally yeah. had, and it was, I think it's just, it got to the point where like, that's, that's what he needs right now. Mm. Like he's such a good fucking fighter and he yeah. just, he, he doesn't come from a traditional sports background. Mm-hmm. So it, that like he needs these different like athletic qualities. Like he's got a bunch of power, but not a lot of hip mobility, that type of shit. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of hand speed, but doesn't know how to pivot off of or make a tripod or realistically to make a good wide base with his feet. And focusing on those skills in the strength conditioning room and the clinic and the whatever the gym, whatever you have you are going to take him to that next level and allow him to see things because then he doesn't have to focus on over pivoting. He can yeah. focus on seeing what the fuck's in front of him. And that just elevates the game. And it was, it was just super cool. It was literally talking about what we're talking about. The GPP, like yeah. he, he saw the need for GPP without even knowing that was a concept. No, and it was, awesome. it was awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I'm excited about getting the geek out on this because uh, that's one of the biggest things in the strength world is like, I understand the point that like you need to explain to your athletes, the purpose behind what you're doing and that that'll create buy-in and that'll uh, give them frames of reference. Right. I think ultimately they need to f- like come to it on their own. They they need to have that moment with you that where it's like, they see it, they see the benefit paying off. But a lot of strength coaches like to try and explain GPP in the way to explain this is a you know vertically integrated program, or this is the phase that we're in. Like, and I think there's a place for that, but I also think that very few athletes actually give a shit about that. You know, they don't. Like, I I am that guy that overexplains, and I no, see I, the light. I see the yeah. lights go out every time I overexplain. Like mm-hmm. when I when actually a, a guy, I'm fine saying it because we joke around about it. A guy I work say that all the time to is Hunter. Yeah, I always like I over explained to Hunter just because we're, we're friends by now, like we're, we're boys and I like to he likes to know what's going on with his body. But some things I say when I over explain what's going on, he just looks at me and I know the look by now. And I'm like, oh, fuck, that was too much, wasn't it? Lost him. Yeah. <laughs> and he just like he like nods and laughs at me. He's like, let's just get back to it. <laughs> All right. And you get some athletes that want to know. But at the, at the same time, I always have to bite my tongue. I'm like. Yeah. Sorry guys. I nerd out. I love this stuff and I understand that you don't. So, um, I do think it's important for athletes to generally understand what and why they're, uh, what they're doing, but they don't need to like this talk that we're having right now. I don't need to launch into that with every athlete. This is, this is a podcast for coaches. This is a podcast for the athlete that wants to know what's going on or for coaches. Um, sidebar before you get into what you're doing, cause I had a funny story. Yeah. Um, for me, I had a super fun, another anecdote, super funny thing where I said things that I probably shouldn't have. Uh, cause like when I, like you said, like program is like a puzzle to you Yeah. when people come in with an injury, those are my puzzles mm-hmm. for the listeners at home. Like that actually like know me, you know, that I've got a lot of concussions. 
um, listeners at home that don't know me, I got a lot of concussions. I can't, do, I can't actually do puzzles anymore. Like it's, I, I physically, it takes me an hour to do a 40 piece puzzle. I've tried, but like when I'm working on a body and I see an injury, like that's a puzzle to like, that's an actual puzzle I can do. Mm-hmm. And I said that to a patient as I was working on them. I'm like, man, I just love, I love my job. Like I love just work. Like your body's like a puzzle. Yeah. I'm like, oh, as soon as I said it, I'm like, oh shit, that's not what you need to say to somebody but, when you're about to stab them <laughs> with a needle. <laughs> yeah. Your body's like a puzzle. Here comes the acupuncture needle. Let me see if I can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. And he like, it wasn't a big deal. He laughed, but I, that was one of those times I caught myself over explaining and yeah. I was going to go more too. And then as soon as that came out of my mouth, I'm like, ah, oh, shit, Austin doing it again. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Good. But so I want to pivot a little bit. I want to talk more about like actual specific workout and program design. So like uh, if you get a workout from your strength conditioning coach or you get a quote unquote phase, um, how are they building that? Right. What are some of the key factors that we're thinking about? What, um, is the method behind the madness, right? Or, or are we just pulling a workout out of our ass, right? I think that happens too often. But um, some of the actual mechanics behind progressing programs and thinking about writing programs um, are things called a linear-based program, which is fairly simple. You know, every week that you're doing a consistent exercise, you you add more weight, you do it faster, you do it harder, something like that. We linearly progress. So getting better on a linear trajectory, uh, that was kind of the foundational. That was one of the first thoughts in programming. And that's one of the most basic principles. Uh, I think it's very useful. I think it's underutilized. I think um, novice athletes, people that haven't strength trained before, um, regardless of how good you are at your sport, if you haven't strength trained before, you're going to make progress on a linear program. The next one is called undulating. Undulating is a, a funny word for saying a wave-like pattern. So we get we get this trajectory of linear going upwards um, via getting heavier weights and stuff, but then we add a little wave to it. So let's say week one, week two, week three, we add some weight. Week four, we drop off and give your body some time to rest. And then we come back week five, six, seven, and we're increasing again, but we're at a higher um, intensity than that one, two, and three. So we create almost like a stair-step wave going up that linear trajectory. Um, and that's kind of the bridge into, or I wouldn't say a bridge, but that is where we get into more of our conjugate type of system. Conjugate is a huge MMA wrestling um, programming approach because with conjugate based systems, you don't have to accumulate a lot of volume, which means you don't have to spend an hour in the gym, hour and a half in the gym, doing a ton of reps, potentially gaining weight, um, via muscle mass or whatever, but conjugate systems focus on a different strength quality every day. So you take that undulating approach of the wave and you just completely radicalize it and go up and down all types of different maneuvers. And that's your conjugate based system. So like Monday we'll come in and we're doing a max strength day where I'm trap bar deadlifting as much as I can. Wednesday you'll come in and then all of a sudden everything's speed-based and you're moving anything and everything as fast as humanly possible. And then you come in on Friday and maybe that's one day that will accumulate some reps and give you quite a bit of volume to build some muscle mass or accomplish some work capacity type of thing. So conjugate is very hugely variable in its programming scheme. Those are three kind of systems for programming and looking at progressing through your programming. In my opinion, um, and I got this from, God, what's it called? It's not T-Nation. It's, um, 
juggernaut strength training systems, the juggernaut training systems. Um, Chad Wesley Smith, which is a really good resource for anybody in the strength world. Um, he has a blog article that talks about creating a program and weaving in and out this linear undulating and conjugate systems all within the same program. Because a program, in my opinion, again, that works really well, harmonizes through those three principles. You can create a linear undulating and conjugate program within one training cycle. Um, and I think, again, that's some of the art of the coaching where we combine and intermix a lot of those principles. Well, and it seems a lot like linear, you need the linear to be the backbone, right? You need the linear to show you those objective measures are going to get better. That's your, if you will, like the the backbone, that's the right word for it. And then undulating, you can, that's when you can vary certain things different ways. And then conjugate, like at least how I see conjugate and how I use conjugate, that's really like the... That's the meat and potatoes of how I program for my guys, mm-hmm. right? You have these qualities after you do your assessment, you have these qualities, you see, see the quality deficits and say there's three quality deficits and you get them three days a week. Guess what? Every fucking day of the, uh, every one of those days, we're working on a different quality that I saw you have a deficiency in. Right. And I even go the step further of my conjure, like, because I bring the rehab involved into it anyways, I go a step further where like one of your deficiencies is mobility. Well, guess what? We're doing 30 minutes of mo- like focusing on joint range of motion. That's part of my conjugate, the, yeah. the conjugate training that I do because that's a deficiency. So it's expanding on, I love that you make like, I, I know you're huge on your bucket system. And like the, those are almost like the three big ass buckets at the bottom of everything. Right. And I, I, I like that there's there's that setup. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a smart approach with the conjugate system into the MMA world. So the conjugate system originated out of a gym called Westside Barbell. Louis. Louis Simmons, yep. Um, and they have actually picked up, they, firstly, they were a gym that was hugely popular for absolutely obliterating the powerlifting scene. Um, <laughs> at one time, yeah this small gym in Pennsylvania that, you know, had 25 members. Bro, more they're, in, they're in Ohio. Get the fuck out of here. I apologize. I, <laughs> we're going to have to cut that in editing because that's hugely <laughs> embarrassing for me. Strength coach um, doesn't even know where Westside is. Yeah, but he's read the book of methods about seven <laughs> times. <laughs> Garbage. I'm a, I'm a horrible person. Um, anyway, um, this small strength training gym, uh, Westside Barbell had more world records on their 25 person team than the entire rest of the world. Yeah. yeah. It, if it you was... haven't seen the documentary Westside versus the world, mm-hmm. highly recommend it. It yeah. is, is it still on awesome. Netflix. It was on Netflix Dude. for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It still is. Yeah. Um, anyway, their conjugate system for powerlifting was maximal strength. So you're maxing out on one day. Uh, maximal speed and power. So they called that their dynamic effort day. And then their third day of the week was a um, volume or repetition method. So they worked a lot of reps on the last day of the week. That is a great approach for powerlifting. Um, (laughs) For MMA, we're not working towards a one rep max. You're not in the octagon for 10 seconds, lifting as much as you can. So those buckets need to be interchanged uh, to an extent, depending on your training generally or specifically, but, and the individual you're at. So Austin's approach, he finds a bucket through his assessment, right? And he has all the time he can to play with this uh, athlete that he's training. So a huge deficiency is mobility. Let's make mobility one of your conjugate uh, method, right? And then this person also 
is not very powerful. They're strong as a brick or they're strong as a brick house, but they're not very powerful. So po- power can go into their conjugate and then you undu- or you wave it, you undulate it throughout the week as best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why you may walk into a training gym and have a completely different workout every day of the week. Um, right. And that type of approach gains you a lot of um, strength or a lot of your quality really quick because your body has a lot of room to adapt and it's adapting to these specific places that you're deficient at. Um, when you're deficient at something, you adapt to it way faster than when you're really good at something, right? But uh, I was, sorry, I, I want to interject. So there's Alex saying is perfect, but that's not to be confused with a coach just walking in, not having any plan at all and writing exercises on a whiteboard. Yeah. That's not, that's not the same as undulating. That's not the same as any, anything that we're talking about, because like, don't get me wrong. I love my whiteboard. I write up the workout on, on the spot, but guess what? I did my assessment. I have every, all, everything that I need. I know that athlete where they're at and most likely their workouts on my phone. And I'm just looking at my phone, writing there's it up a, there. Yeah, there's a plan in the background. It's <laughs> yeah. Not just, yeah. It's not like I'm walk, it's not like I'm walking in and I'm like, all right, we're doing fucking Murph today. Like, yeah, it's like, right. like, and that's what a lot of people think. Like when they think that it's equivalent yeah. and it's, it's not, it's yeah. one has a plan. Like what Alex is talking about, there's a plan. That's that. What I was saying, where I use my linear programming as my backbone, there's a plan there versus the other. That's not a plan. That's just throwing random shit at the wall. It is it conjugate. Yes. Are you probably hitting different things? That's what CrossFit does. Like that's, that's why, like, that's what CrossFit's successful. It's conjugate in its own, in its own right. Right. But are you getting better at MMA? Is like, are you, like, right. It's, it's, it's um, conjugate in its own right, but it's not conjugate for you. It's mm-hmm. conjugate for whatever literally whatever, the coach. whatever the, whatever the fucking coach decides to write on that stupid whiteboard that day. Right. <laughs> um, and when I say that, I mean, I don't know where we're going. So you can skip over what I just said. Um, cool. I brought up that when you're deficient at something, you make gains and adaptations a lot quicker than when you're really good at something. Right. So part of addressing the weaknesses and understanding the weaknesses is that we have a lot more work that we can capitalize on. If like, say you're deficient in strength, we can train strength and get you a lot stronger, a lot faster than if you're already really speedy and we focus on speed, we're going to gain, you know, maybe a hundredth of a point versus we can gain five to 10 points in strength. So addressing the weaknesses there, you're going to adapt a lot quicker to it. I mean, what I think of it is I think of teaching somebody to wrestle for the first time, you know, the first, you know, three months they're learning new moves. They're moving more like a wrestler. They're getting to be an actual wrestler versus training somebody that's been wrestling for 20 years. You know, I'm not going to make life-changing gains in three months. You know, this person's already a great wrestler through their career. So, um, just like anybody, anything, if you're a newbie, you're going to learn a lot faster and you're going to adapt a lot faster. Uh, so that is one factor that goes into what are you doing in the weight room and how are we programming it? So what exactly? So everybody sees bands, chains, clanging and banging all these different things. What do those different methods do? Cause I know it's going to obviously varies the weight, and the, but yeah. maybe the listeners don't know what's going on. Yeah. So, um, that's another adaptation effect that we can go after as strength coaches too, because 
just as your body adapts very quickly to things that you're bad at, your body adapts very quickly to things that are new. So if we have somebody that's been training for a while and they've adapted to their, you know, back squat three by five, five by five, they've been doing that week in a week out for six months. Um, they're probably not going to get that much better continuing to do it. What they will get a lot better at if we add chains and we start talking about speed or we start talking about power and we move the back squat in a way different way instead of our five by five, maybe we do 10 sets of three, maybe we do, you know, um, different stimuluses and then you're still going to get a training effect from that faster, uh, a principle called variation. So varying the training is going to give you a better adaptation to the stimulus that we have imposed to a degree, to a degree. I'm not, I'm not saying that Every time you're in the workout, we're doing, we're teaching new lifts. I think you you need to have a base level of understanding and mastery in some type of lifts to achieve that variation. It shouldn't. I'm actually, I'm actually only using chains from here on out because you just said that. Well, that doesn't make sense. That contradicts what I said. So don't do that. Um, (laughs) But you can't just, you know, completely switch up the workout on a novice lift on somebody that's, you know, not been in the weight room a whole lot. You can't just switch it up and expect them to get better by variation. They're just going to spend the whole time looking confused and being very bad at different exercises. Right. So we set a foundation and that's also a huge function of our GPP our general prep. Give this athlete a huge vocabulary of movement. Let them see what a hinge is, what a squat is, what it should feel like, how they can organize their body to be successful at that. And then we can apply those different patterns and programs to different movements. We can easily shift from a front squat to a back squat. We can easily go from a trap bar deadlift to an RDL um, so that we can get that variation, but we also have a mastery of general principle. So I think that's, that's a big variation point. And um, yeah. What's the band do? What's a band do? I don't want to talk about that. Not too bad. I asked. <laughs> I also asked about bands and what bands do. Bands offer accommodating resistance. So instead of just one static weight that you're lifting up and down, um, it varies the stimulus by adding more tension at the top of a lift, less tension at the bottom of the lift. So if you put bands on whatever you're doing, let's say we stand on a band and use a hex bar for a deadlift, uh, it gets harder as you come up. So that's a different stress and strain on your body than just a continuous deadlift without the band. Um, also, depending on what load that you put on there, bands are highly utilizable for power work. Um, they let you move at a higher speed with a little more control than, you know, just strict weight. So if I'm thinking about doing a front squat, but I want to do front squat really fast, it's hard to do that without the bar flying up into my chin, right? So we, if we put bands on it and use band tension rather than just strict weights, then we can do a front squat with a power emphasis or something like that. Well, and it, so, it also brings it back to what you were talking about. One of your low hanging fruit is it can get you strong at end range. Yeah. It, the accommodating resistance, think about the top of a deadlift, shooting your hips through, getting that hip, violent hip extension, if you will. That's going to get you I like it. violent. Violence. I know. I cue that all the time, violence and aggression. <laughs> and then sometimes I just yell yeah. while eating raw meat, <laughs> but it gets you that the raw meat. I throw it at the athletes. So oh, there we it. go. Good. Good. Get your shit right. <laughs> but at, at end range with the accommodating resistance, with the more resistance at the top, that's going to have us a more time under tension. So it forces us to be comfortable at end range as well as increase the load 
at end range as well. I'm still cringing about where Westside Barbell is. It's fine. It's fine. You're just going to get made fun of by every other strength coach ever. Tim Murray is listening to this podcast. I'm sorry that I failed you. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually going to be the title of the episode now. Tim Murray, I have failed you. Yes. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Anyway, uh, another principle. Let's talk about a specific workout. One single workout that you're doing. How is it organized? Why is it organized like that? Um, so I have a basic template that I, I work through on a lot of workouts and I have different templates for different stresses and organizations. So like if I'm going for a power day, I'll use this general format. If I'm doing a strength day, I'll use this general format. But um, what I follow is a tier uh, programming or tier based approach. And what a tier based approach means is that I work on down the pyramid of kind of speed and performance and each block of the workout subtly grades down in difficulty and intensity. So you get in, you warm up, you do your thing to get going. We're ready to go. We're ready to start the workout. Um, if it's a general athlete that I have out of camp, we're going to work probably power first, um, get at least some type of stress in the power realm. We're going to then go move on to strength um, and then work on how much can you lift. And then towards the end, we're going to work on work capacity, more volumized type of stuff. So this is the super micro approach to that periodization and that periodized plan. Um, Within each template, we stress different areas. So if this athlete that I have in front of me needs to work on power, or if they're in a place in their training that they need to do power, we're spending a lot more time in that power block and then strength and work capacity kind of fade off at the end. Um, if they're an athlete that really needs to get stronger, doesn't, hasn't spent much weight time in the weight room, that power block is going to be pretty brief. The warm up is what it is. Um, and then we're going to spend a lot of time developing that strength. Um, let's say we're at a peaking phase and the athlete is two weeks out from their camp and they, they need the, the speed stimulus. Some of that work capacity stuff at the end, that's gone. I don't need that, right? That's not part of our training emphasis right now. So I'm going to spend a lot more time on the front half. Maybe before my power block, I'm adding some speed elements in there. You know, how fast can you move during this movement? How fast can we attack this um, type of thing? And then down the line, adding in some decision-making elements and stimulus like that, which I think is really fun to do in the weight room. Um, but it's just based on, we're going to hit all these things because I think a lot of athletes can still adapt to multiple stimuluses at once. Um, that's another huge strength training, um, misnomer, if you will, strength training. You think we need to isolate this one quality because this athlete can only adapt, adapt to this one quality. Um, that may be true for an athlete that is the best in the world at that singular quality. So if I have a Olympic champion weightlifter and I need to get them more powerful, I'm going to probably spend six months exclusively on power. Right. But that's not true for your general athlete or your, even your um, different sport professional athletes. So uh, that approach is called concurrent training. When we try to concurrently gain in multiple strength qualities. Um, And that's a lot of vocabulary. I think that I'm throwing out, which is good for you to know, but as a strength coach, you can also look up those terms and see how you can integrate them into your programming or practice. Well, and it's good to point out this is where me and you don't always not see eye to eye. Cause there's, it's not like one way is wrong. Oh, go ahead. Tell me the other. Wrong, please. I mean, you are wrong. You're always wrong. No, but I think it's good for people to hear because I, not that again, not that the tiered pro like the tiered system system is wrong. I just do it a little bit differently. 
like I do it like a, almost like a mix of a tier and a access, like a triset accessory um, platform, if you will. So like my warmups, just like Alex said, warmups, whatever the fuck it is. Like you ramp, you do all that fun stuff. I love warmups, but I'm not, I've already talked about this. Yeah. They're important, but we'll worry about those. Yeah. Yeah. The, then I go from there, like say we're doing uh trap bar jump shrug that, that tends to be our power of a power lift that I like to do because it's safer mm-hmm. for my athlete's shoulders. So they don't give a fuck about catching the weight. So I do that instead. But I have an athlete that's prone to extension compression. Um, then I'm going to prep in a tri set. Their first thing that they do is going to be a prone in a like a prone position, if you will. It's DNS first first position is what I call it. And you're going to be externally rotating, forcing breath into the back to elongate the lumbar erectors and force breath back there to prime a proper stabilization. So almost like an extended warm up. Then I go into the trap bar jump shrug. And then following that, I have them do some sort of heavy banded dead bug to then keep them out of that extension compression. And that's all in that. That's what my power system looks like. So instead of doing my accessory work all the way at the end, I do it as more of a like dynamic system theory is, is technically where I learned this from, where I'm trying to keep priming the pattern that I want to prime because it's a lot more important to me, at least to, and, and I know to you, but to focus on the functional capacity of the movement. If they can get a little bit higher with a little bit more weight, but they're extending through their lumbar erectors and basically like making a back concavity, like that means absolutely fucking nothing to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying about priming a movement and, and getting the athlete in a position for success. And um, I do that to an extent as well. And I think it's important. Yeah. Like you said, to identify our differences in approach, I think you, you take a much more micro approach um, yes. to specific appro- uh, positions than I do, which I think is, is fitting for our professions, but I don't want it to sound like when I talk about like a power-based block, I don't want it to sound like we only do power movements, right? Even in that power block, like you're talking about, I can throw a corrective in there. I can throw a priming, um, utilize different methods. So even in a strength block, when I'm having my athlete, um, do heavy ass back squats or whatever exercise you choose to put in there. I might have that superset it with a box jump, which is technically a power X, right? And, and if I'm utilizing that is a called a contrast method. But um, just because it's a primary block where this is the main emphasis does not mean that we're going to exclusively train that emphasis. Similar to a, a program that I write, if I'm in a quote unquote strength phase, I'm not going to exclusively have this athlete train strength for the reasons that I talked about in concurrent training. Um, they're still going to touch on power. They're still going to touch on work capacity because these, these qualities that we identify have things called training residuals or residual effect, um, which means if you don't train a quality for a period of time, you lose it. Um, and I think that's fairly obvious with conditioning, with strength, with things. If you don't, if you don't do any conditioning for a month, you're not going to be in shape, right? That, that's fairly obvious. So, um, <laughs> mind so, blown why why am i out of shape i didn't train in my off camp and i just but i took care of my body no um anyway <laughs> <laughs> that's what's what i tell people i like that's what i tell all our fighters like hey recovery is not sitting on the couch playing video games smoking weed that's not recovery i that's hate not, to break yeah. it to you <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's um, getting in your little hidey hole yeah but as far as like continuing on like how i program just because it is a little bit differently so i do it i I'm not a CrossFit coach, but more CrossFit-y, if you will. 
I do the A, B, C, D. That's how I, I know, I know, but that's, that's how I like to program. That's how I do it. It's a good system for me. It's not CrossFit. It's different block systems. But that's who made it popular. No, that's how strength training has always been programmed. No. You have your A block or your one block, B block or your two block. That's cool. But CrossFit made it popular. Anyways, I'm not fighting you on this. So then going from like A, I, I, A is always going to be my warm up. B is always going to be my, if you're talking like a tiered approach, which I do like a modified tier, like I said, it's going to be the main objective for what I'm doing. And then after that, we enter C, that's whether it's going to be conditioning at that point, or we do all of the other, bring the, uh, the concurrent training in all of the other qualities into my C block. And then my D block is if I'm doing just univariable conditioning, that's when I hit my conditioning aspect. So if I'm just doing a like univariable meaning their conditioning is say a lactate, a lactate work on the air bike, if you will. So 30 second sprint, 430 off, we're doing uh, that three times, then that's going to be the D or I might then also bring it in and make it mixed modal and mix in strength with power with conditioning all these different things, depending on the athlete and depending on the athlete's training age. So that's, that is how I like to program as well, just to show a different side. What do you, how, how, I guess, how do you go about uh, mixing and matching up your conditioning with your strength? So again, a lot of it comes down to the assessment that I do and the glaring deficiencies that you can see with most MMA athletes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So a lot of the times, at least the people I work with, the hip drive is not there. So I can, once I get them competent with a trap bar deadlift and I know that they can do that quality, Mm-hmm. then I can ha- add in a trap bar deadlift with an air bike to make that mixed modal or dual variable. Mm-hmm. You can also do like a, a popular one that I throw in for certain people and that I know can use the lactate system, say is a trap bar deadlift. You're doing three reps at 65% of your max, nothing crazy, just enough to hit a strength to, to do like strength-ish work to prime the pattern and use your hips, but not enough to overload you because you're going to be jumping on a bike after. Mm-hmm. Then we go from that going into what would be that contrast training. We go right into five box jumps. And then following that to add more contrast to it, I throw you on, this is in a 60 second cycle. The rest of the time they're on the air bike. So it ends up being typically around a 35 second sprint working the lactate system and forcing them to learn how to use that system buffer lactate while on the bike and bringing that conditioning in. So it's one of those things I won't, the way that I look at it and bringing anything in until I know a, that the athlete knows how to fucking use the system. Cause if they're not using the right system anyways, it's a waste to add other things in. Um, and B that they're competent and I trust them to move pro- like properly in air quotes. Cause it's not always going to be perfect, but move safely and effectively in a move in whatever movement I'm programming in. That's when I can mix in my strength, mix in my power, mix in my speed, mix in plyos with any sort of conditioning modality. No, oh, yeah, I agree with that. And I think, um, I think you hit it on the head with that prerequisite of being, having a competent, uh, well-trained athlete, right? Yeah. I think a lot of those approaches, and I think this is where we can reference CrossFit. A lot yeah. of those approaches are applied too readily with untrained individuals or untrained trained individuals, right? Correct. That program that you just described would be 
absolutely bonkers to do to somebody their second week in a weight. Dude, I would, uh, yeah, I would, I won't like, one of my guys is a good example. He's in the UFC's fucking top tier fighter. Hasn't been lifting very long. He's really, really good assessments, but doesn't know how to use his lactate system. I can't then throw him into that. They, they, the cool, the cool burner workout that I put like Bryce through who is an extremely trained individual college football player knows how to use every system really well. Just because he's in the UFC doesn't mean that he knows how to use his lactate system. Let's be, let's be real here. Yeah. (laughs) No. And I think, yeah, I think that's a huge realization for people as well. Like as well, as good as you are, at your sport, you may not be trained in what we're trying to train you at, which isn't a knock on the athlete. That doesn't mean that worse. It just means that we need to plan and progress appropriately to that. Um, so that, that's an interesting approach too, because I think uh, with your mixed modal approach, I, I, the way that I combine my strength training with a conditioning type of stimulus, I always think about uh, which strength qualities match up with our energy system development quality. Yes. Uh, and with that, what I mean is if, I th- if I'm thinking about power or if I think about we're working, moving high lows very fast, um, I'm going to pair that with, you know, more of an alactic conditioning emphasis because that alactic um, system is working in both of those contexts in a little different uh, way, but we can use one to prime the other. Uh, and then I also think, you know, an aerobic uh, emphasis and aerobic energy systems stress works very well in a GPP block or a mm-hmm. yeah. uh, work capacity block because we're both working on both conditionings and that that leaves a heavy strength emphasis to work well with a lactate emphasis. And I think both of those things can be utilized together as long as you're not getting thrashed by the lactic work and making yeah. your strength training dog shit. So I think there does need to be an understanding of the individual and, and training limitations um, when you apply that mixed modal approach, because frankly, a lot of athletes aren't ready for it until they've yep. been strength training. So um, just for instance, and to put it into some context, I work a lot with middle school slash high school athletes, you know, an athlete that's in sixth, seventh, eighth freshman in high school <laughs> is not going to get the workout that Austin described. I'm hesitant to pair front squat because that's a contrast and that may not be appropriate for the athlete's developmental age. Um, So we get, we get to put the foundational blocks at the bottom of that pyramid before we can start mixing up and down the pyramid and and throw in all types of um, contrast conjugate complex type training at uh, the individual. Well, that's, and that's a good point. Like for like when I, when I was thinking if, if I were training like people like you're describing, that's when you throw in your the other energy system, the aerobic development mixed with muscular endurance, mixed with like work capacity, different loads. Like that's when you throw 15, like we've talked about in previous podcasts, like you don't always have to be sets and reps, throw them on a timer, right? Mm -hmm. 15 minutes, 15 minutes on the clock. You're doing these four exercises in this sequence and go nuts, but you can't stop 15 minutes. I guarantee you it's going to work the aerobic system at some point. If they're, if they're not just dicking around, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So density circuit. Yeah. So just doing that in general is going to allow them to get the energy system demands as well as whatever qualities you then programmed into that in an effective manner. Mm-hmm. And it's, it kills two birds with one stone, something I want to bring up to you. And I wanted to see your thoughts. I just thought about it right now. No evidence cool. at all. So I'm just spouting nonsense. Sweet. But again, I just thought about this and I think I concisely put my thoughts together, but if it comes out really dumb, don't laugh at me. So everybody talks about contrast with 
strength, power, all these different things. Why don't we talk about contrast with obviously energy systems are different energy sources, right? Or mm-hmm. different ways to use them. But why can't we also train contrast with energy systems as well? I don't think you can't. Um, right. But we always talk, we, right. But we always talk about like, all right, we can't do the lactate system. If we do the anaerobic, like you can't do anaerobic and lactate in the same day. That's, that's like a rule that's been spouted. You can't yeah. do you, if you're going to pair two together, it's always going to be a lactic and aerobic. Yeah. Like, why, why wouldn't it make sense that the two things that in reality strengthen power, mm-hmm. you're going to uh, doing that contrast method in an all theory, that's the exact same thing as talking about pairing up an alactic day with a, a lactate and a lactic. Yeah. Us. And I think the, the primary argument I would make against doing a, uh, lactic and, you know, a lactic sprint contrast training or energy system like that is, uh, competing demands for energy's, uh, resources, uh, yeah. the muscle. Yeah. like, like you're, you're talking about pairing strength and power. And I think that's great, but I think you also get a lot more rest with strength and power. Like strength and True. power is not something that, that should be under a conditioning lens, conditioning hat. Um, I don't know if I like how I said that, but, um, strength and power, you get a lot more time to rest, recover, and then utilize your full potential again. If we're, you know, thrashing a lactic circuit, you're you're depleting your body of glycogen, and again, you may not use your glycogen in your a lactic system, but you're also not going to be able to recover fast enough to truly get to an a lactic yeah, intensity, right? True. So that 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 would be my biggest thing. I, I don't think you shouldn't or should ever rule that out. I think you can, but I think it's not popularized as much because it would be hard to do and hard to develop because take a lot of time yeah and and there are sprint repeat type of trainings out there which kind of hit both of those at the same time it's just you know framed or worded differently um but i don't think it's a bad thought no i know i'm just trying to think i'm actually thinking right now that's sorry if my ugly thinking face Mm -hmm. like no that's just all the time that's true that's fair yeah i don't know that thought just popped into my head and i'm like what when you said contrast and i was and we were thinking about energy systems i'm like why don't Mm -hmm. why can't we just contrast those two but i'm sure i'll do i'm gonna do research after this and probably i think and and also it might be called the quote quote, unquote active recovery um i think that that term gets thrown a lot a lot and as well it should but like uh we talk about contrasting a lactic with aerobic um, your whole workout can be an aerobic stimulus. If you're jogging in between high intensity bouts, you yeah. get some type of aerobic stimulus out of that and some type of a lactic stimulus. Uh, once you bring up something fresh in my mind too, that I like to kind of flesh out is like, when we talk about emphasizing different strength training qualities, different conditioning qualities, it is pretty theoretically impossible to completely isolate that quality. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, with energy systems, especially this has been promoted uh, recently is like, even though you're doing like a, a lactic sprint, let's say, so you're sprinting, whatever, 60 meters, or yeah. you're going for a 12 second go or 10 second go, your aerobic system is definitely in high drive in the background. It's not like your aerobic system is completely useless at that point. Um, you're still getting contributions from your aerobics energy system. Same thing is if we're doing power work, um, that's not exclusively based on how fast you can move weight. If your rate of, if your um, max force uh, capabilities, your strength is higher, then your power can utilize that better. So it's uh, it's all interconnected, and that's something that I've been trying to factor more and more into 
my programming, my practice is understanding how everything interplays with each other and how we can play that game, connecting everything. Because in reality, nothing happens in isolation. It's kind of that isolation game, talking about sports performance. And you can expand that even to like social, psychological stimulus as well as physical. But you can nothing ex- happens ex- in isolation. Yeah, and you can expand that into... I know I always got to bring it to rehab. I'm sorry. You can expand that into rehab, right? If you're not doing some sort of aerobic work with your rehab, you're missing, you're missing out entirely, right? Because you're not getting blood flow. You're not getting, um, you're not able to pump nutrients through the system. You're not working an energy system that they're going to be working already. Why don't you try to get more bang for your buck and make a rehab that say we're doing DNS work, whatever it may be. So have them, instead of just doing three month prone or like a low bear hold, have them do two minutes on the air bike at 50 to 52 RPM. So a, a five out of 10, four out of 10, whatever it may be, and then throw them into a low bear hold and then have them do banded lateral walks and have them do that circuit instead of isolating the exercises. Cause too often in rehab, do we just, Oh man, we got to get and shoulder external rotation banded bullshit again. And we don't care about the whole body as a system yeah. Take such a big approach on like the popular thing now is everybody's like, Oh, it's body over parts, body over parts. You can't just work in isolation. Well, guess what? Physiology is a fucking thing. You can't, you can't just leave out the aerobic system as well. That sends all the nutrients mm-hmm. to it. That's dumb. So if we're really saying that the whole supersedes the men or what is that the whole supersedes the parts essentially if we're really saying that we need to look at the whole because if you leave out the energy system development of the whole then you're basically just building a gas tank and not putting fucking gas in it right and i think to to give everyone context and why this topic fires me and Austin up and and, and why we're pretty passionate about changing that line of thought is is that's a pretty um, nuanced way to think about the body strength conditioning training and everything um, forever and always. Um, and this is a huge uh, sociological um, power from bodybuilding, which was kind of the one of the first most popularized strength training approaches from bodybuilding, from anatomy, from textbook things. We've always thought we as a society have always thought objectively and chopped things into smaller bits and pieces so that we can understand, right? When you think of learning your anatomy, you learn the actual skeleton and then you learn the appendicular, right? Two different parts, right? It's not like we learned the skeleton or we look at this joint articulation, how that, how your, you know, lumbar spine affects your neck posture, how your lumbar spine affects your gluteal activation, right? Posterior oblique sling, anterior oblique sling. Right. And, and, the fascial slings is another huge up and coming thing that is on the top of my list to start uh, researching, learning about, but the objective um, reductionist uh, Descartian type of uh, segregation of everything is how the, these educational systems and strength training is brought upon. Right. Um, so trying to reframe that and look at everything as one cohesive unit and how the system integrate and work together and how we can further our practice by integrating all these systems is a nuanced approach. It's a, it's a newer thing. So we're almost rebelling it back against um, those traditional foundational sources of knowledge or like discourses in literature. Calling us rebels, bro. That's uh, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah.
So that's what my master's is on, by the way. So that's why I, uh, I, I think about it a lot. Ah, got um, you. Yeah. And I say words like Descartian. I know. I, I heard or, that. You sounded real Cartesian, smart. Cartesian. Cartesian. Yeah. Um, Cartesian map system. I think that's Rene Descartes was the first person to. Oh, yeah. I uh, think, therefore I am. I know that shit. To separate the physical human body and the soul. And so yeah, yeah. now when we create that divide, it's Cartesian, the Cartesian body, the Cartesian. I'm smarter than you give me credit. I know that shit. I'm not saying you don't know it, but I want people to think I'm smart because I know it. <laughs> Man, I need to make up for my West side screw up. <laughs> Come on. Oh, man. We've talked a lot about uh, periodization and programming. Um, yeah. I feel, yeah. No, yeah. I just, yeah. We talked a lot about it. I just want to make sure for all the PTs, Kairos, ATs, whoever you may be listening, that please throw in your energy system training into your rehab. You'll see a lot bigger bang for your buck. You'll get paid more because you're going to have higher order thinking associated with what you're doing. Um, so if you are working with insurance, you can back it up really easy. And it's just one of those things, like if you have any sort of conditioning involved, it's, it's going to make everything better. Don't just look at three by 20 as the only way to do rehab, because that's just not true. I have two more notes on my sheet, but I, I think at this point, I just, I kind of threw out random uh, programming and periodization things. And I, I don't want to just confuse that bundle more and more. So we'll save them for other days when we, uh, when we talk more about programming, because that's not- no, it is not. But so that's our podcast. <laughs> that was a lot about programming. I hope you guys listening. I hope you guys like listening to Alex's voice because it's so much cooler. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I struggle immensely if I'm talking for more than 90 seconds. <laughs> I think you crushed it. But anyways, if you guys have any questions about anything, shoot it to us at Instagram. So we now, oh, we didn't even mention that we're going to be doing Instagram things. Uh, so we have an Instagram building a fighter. So they're going to be, we're going to be making that a lot more, say, knowledgeable, a lot more use, useful, interactive. We're going to be posting a lot more. It's just trying to sound smart still. Um, as well as if you, so you can hit us up there or at our personal Instagrams, Alex, and mine will be in the show notes as well as our emails. And we also have building a fighter at gmail.com that you can email that to as well. So if you guys have, what do you got? What do you got? You want to say something? Nope. All right. If you guys have any questions, hit us up. Um, Thank you all for listening and share, like subscribe, do all the cool stuff that lets us talk to more people. So as always, it's Dr. Austin Shane and Alex Friedman. Let me say that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is building a fighter. Peace. Peace.